All I want, all I wish, all I think should happen to me may not be the will of the Lord. But it's my life, it's my song, it's my story that I'm writing and I think it should be my own. At least that's how I feel till I see Jesus. At least that's how I feel till I see Jesus on the cross. At least that's how I feel till I see all he's given me. And then I pack up all my dreams and count them all. For he is writing my song. Now he is the author of my story. He knows the way, the way that's best for me. And now I know my life is not my own. All I want. All I wish, all I think should happen to me may not be the will of the Lord. But it's my life, it's my song, it's my story that I'm writing and I think it should be my own. At least that's how I feel till I see Jesus. At least that's how I feel till I see Jesus I believe most of us would be very excited if we could be at Jesus's side for uh, even a small amount of time. Like if you had the opportunity to be at Jesus's side for a week, um, a few hours, maybe even, would you do it? You know, that, that's an interesting idea because one thing that I do think would be very obvious is if we spent time at Jesus's side, we would have to learn that, you know, being a follower of Jesus, it might mean a little different than what we think of at first. Because even the disciples themselves, they were quite literally at Jesus' side every single day for about three years or so. And so many times they kind of misunderstood things. They had to kind of reevaluate, readjust their ideas of what Jesus was all about. I want us to take a look at, the, at one of these uh, kind of occasions uh, that comes to us in Mark's gospel. In Mark chapter 10, we actually see that some of the disciples, they ask to be at Jesus' side. Well, I mean, you know, yes, I get it. They're already at Jesus' side, but they're talking about like later, whenever he's glorified, they want to be at his side. Well, let's learn some lessons from Jesus' encounter with them uh, after that was their request. Let's take a look at it from Mark chapter 10. We're actually going to back up uh, just a little bit into verses 32 through 34, and that's where we'll start. Mark 10, 32 through 34. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. 
Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Wow. Okay, this is not the only time that we see that Jesus revealed the gospel to them. And in this case, let's face it, whenever we read this, we say that is extremely plain, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's what we think. And we see that uh, probably with, with these disciples, and, and here's what I, I want us to get at. I don't want us to be too hard on these disciples because, you know, many times we can read this and you can think, how could you not see that? Well, they probably thought he was using some some type of figure of speech. I mean, let's face it. Jesus did that a lot, didn't he? He spoke in parables. So they were probably thinking, okay, so what does this all mean? You know, what does it mean about being condemned to death and handing him over and, and mocking him and spitting on him and, and all these things? What does that even mean? What does it mean about three days later he's going to rise? We get it. We, we know it. We understand that. But, you know, we look at this and we think, how could they not get it? Well, I want you to, if, if you can remember, uh, the, the first time that you heard about the gospel message. Now, it's kind of interesting to us because whenever the gospel is revealed to us, we oftentimes have the exact opposite reaction as what they had. Because to us, we hear this gospel story and we hear about how Jesus has died and he's, you know, he's taken our place and he's died for our sins and he's brought life and he gives us life free, uh, for, freely to us. He simply asks us to follow him and to have faith in him. Well, whenever that is revealed to us, we might think, well, that sounds a little too good to be true. And we might be a little hesitant, a little cautious about that, a little disbelieving, in fact, at the beginning, whenever we first hear the gospel. However, these disciples, they were kind of on the other end. To them, they heard this message and they, they thought, perhaps that sounds a little too bad to be true. I mean, how could God's son, how could the son of man, the Messiah, how could he possibly be treated like this? And to them, they were met with a little bit of disbelief. But you know, at some point or another, the message clicks with us. We, we understand, we get it. Whenever that, that has been revealed to us, it truly opens our eyes and we see it. That's what the disciples also needed to have that moment. Jesus definitely reveals it to them, but yet they don't quite see it just yet. That's why... <laughs> That's why this conversation continues on like this. Verses 35 through 40. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Uh, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink, and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. So right here, we see that uh, after the gospel message was revealed to them, right here now, they want some reward. That's what they're seeking. I mean, verse 37, they say, Let one of us sit on your right, the other on your left, in your glory. They've got this idea of what Jesus is going to do. They've got their own ideas about how the kingdom of heaven and, and what it's going to look like. They want this reward. 
But instead, what Jesus turns to them and he starts talking about is some cup and then baptism. What's going on right there? You know, for many of us, we look, we look at that and I don't know that we get it at first. We have to maybe think about that a little. I would say the same thing happened to them too. So he starts talking about this cup that he's going to be be drinking from. I believe that this would be the, the cup of judgment or the cup of wrath. It's the same cup, I believe, that Jesus is going to pray about in the garden, if you remember. We looked at that just a, a couple or so weeks ago. We saw that on that night that he was going to be betrayed, Jesus asked that that cup, if it was possible, for that cup to pass from him. Well, it, it wasn't going to be possible. He was going to drink from that cup. And he tells them that they're also going to drink from the same cup as well. They're also going to endure hardships. They're going to endure difficulties because they are followers of Christ. So that cup, we, we see that, that Jesus is going to mention that a couple more times as well. And now we come to this baptism. You know, that, that's kind of interesting that he talks about baptism. Keep in mind that baptism, it's, it's just another word that, that means immersion. And it can be used in different ways. You know, we use it typically and we're, we're thinking about how we are baptized. You know, we're immersed in water and we're, we're forgiven of our sins and all of that. And, and yes, okay, that, that, that's what baptism can mean. But baptism, it also means just to be fully covered, fully immersed. And what immersion do you think that they have coming to them? When you look at this, yes, it's taking part in with, with Jesus. We see that even whenever we ourselves submit to the, the way of Christ, and whenever we submit to being baptized, it's not by accident that we might call it uh, the watery grave of baptism. It's a symbol of death. It's a symbol of, of dying to ourself, being buried with Christ and raised up new. It's a beautiful symbol. It's also a serious symbol. And one that does have death and suffering at its heart. But it does have that resurrection as well. That positive part of the story. So he says that they're going to endure these hardships. They're going to endure this, this cup and, and this baptism that Jesus is going to be baptized in and, and fully consumed with. But then he says in verse 40, but sit at my right or my left. It's not for me to grant. They have this idea. Jesus, whenever you come into your kingdom and you sit on your throne, we want to be right there. Okay, but what Jesus knows, and they don't get it yet, is Jesus and the kingdom of God, it's going to be different. It's not like Jesus is just going to sit on some earthly throne and reign. That's not what he did. Jesus came into his glory, and his glory was revealed whenever he was lifted up on the cross. Whenever he was lifted up on the cross, who was at his right hand and his left hand? It was those thieves on the cross, remember? That's what the gospel message tells us. It tells us that Jesus did have someone on his right hand and on his left, but it looked entirely different than what they were, were asking right now. They really didn't know what they were asking him. They were just asking for some reward, but Jesus still wants to teach them a little bit more. That's why he tells them this message of, uh, of repentance. And, and I don't mean one of that they needed to repent of sins. But they needed to repent and change their view, their idea of God's kingdom. Because up to this point, it's not right yet. In Mark chapter 10, verses 41 through 45, when the ten heard about this, that request from those two, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. 
Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now the message is one of repent. It's They needed to, to change this idea of what God's kingdom was all about. It's not like Jesus was going to rise up and sit on some earthly throne. It's that Jesus was going to be raised up. And then we are called, he was going to be raised up on the cross. And we are called to, to look upon him and to be able to follow him at that point. See, Jesus' message, even from the very beginning of his ministry, was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's still kind of the same type of message that needs to be proclaimed right here. It's not always one that we need to repent of sins. That's part of it, yes. But I believe already at this point, James and John have done that. But what they need to do right here is they, they need to change this idea and recognize what God is doing in their midst. And recognize this, this lesson. This lesson is that they don't need to be the, one, the ones who are being served. They need to be the ones who are serving others. That's the way of Christ. That's the way that the Lord has taught us. And this is not the only passage, of course, that, that speaks about this. And, and really, the way of the Lord and how the Lord was going to bring about salvation, um, it was mentioned in the Old Testament as well. I want us to look at, at one of what I would say is uh, one of the most obvious passages that I think clearly speaks about Jesus and the suffering that he was going to endure and the salvation that it was going to bring us. And that comes from Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 6, we read, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet he, we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This passage, I know that several years ago, and I've, I've shared this with you all before, but several years ago, somebody you know mentioned that they took this passage, and maybe a little bit more, I, I don't remember how many verses they took, and they just printed it off, and they didn't say where it, where it came from, and they just kind of showed it to people. Uh, I think it was maybe even some of their coworkers and all. They just showed them this, and they said, you know, where does this come from? And they were like, oh, well, it's clearly one of the Gospels. And he said, no, it's not. It's Isaiah 53. And when you read this, if I were not to give you the passage of where this is located, and perhaps if you didn't know it too, too well, you would likely think, well, obviously, this is speaking about, you know, Jesus Christ. It's one of the Gospels. It isn't, though. It's it's part of the gospel, yeah, and that's what he's talking about. But this is from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53. I mean, this was written hundreds of years, about 700 years before Jesus was ever even born on this earth. But obviously, it was part of God's plan. We see this suffering that he was going to endure. See, Jesus Christ did not come here to be served. He came here to serve and to provide us with salvation. That's how he served. We see that it is by his wounds that we are healed. He took this punishment upon himself, the punishment that really should have been on us. This psalm, this psalm, this, uh, sorry, it's, uh, uh, some of the psalms also talk about it too, but this prophet and his words, it goes on and it speaks even more about Jesus, uh, Jesus's uh, suffering and what he was going to do and what he has done for us now.
in verses 7 through 9. It continues and it says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. This passage continues to speak about how he how he endured this, and we read about it from the Gospels. That's exactly how he how he endured his suffering. We also see that in verse nine, he was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with the rich in his death. We see that he didn't do anything wrong, but the ones who were uh, on his right and on his left, at Jesus' side at that moment of his glory, it was thieves. It was the wicked. But yet those are the exact same people that Jesus came here to to heal. That he came here to help, isn't it? To all of us. And he was with the rich in his death because he was given a proper burial. We see that. And we also see that that's, of course, not the end of the story. We know that he raised from the dead on the third day. Isaiah doesn't necessarily speak as much about that, but he definitely speaks about the sacrifice that Jesus gave on our behalf. This chapter continues on in verses 10 through 12. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he has poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This passage even does kind of hint, though, at the resurrection, doesn't it? We know that that's clearly laid out for us in the Gospels. We see that, that this passage and other passages speak about Jesus pretty plainly. We see that Jesus himself used this, these types of passages and explained the gospel message and what he was going to endure. It was actually this very passage, Isaiah 53, that, that the royal official or the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 was reading from. And Philip comes up and, and he started at this very passage and he preached the good news about Jesus from it. And that good news comes back to one of these verses that we've already looked at from Mark 10. Mark 10, 45. This is the good news that we have. And, and that is, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what Jesus has done for us. Being at Jesus' side, you know, there's actually a way that we can do that today. And that means that following the way of Christ, following in his footsteps, He's right there with us. He is at our side. And there is things that we need to learn constantly. We look at this right here. We see that this is what Jesus was teaching us. This is the way of Christ. Are, are we expecting to be served or are we expecting to serve others? Let's make sure that we learn this lesson from Jesus. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. For many. Ready, Lord, ready, Lord, 
Judgment Day. 